Welcome to In Conversation With. I'm Romina Marino. Today we're joined by Frank Rax. Frank is the chief economist at Creta Consulting, a research and consulting firm that provides information to help asset managers run their businesses. Frank has close to 30 years' experience in Canada's financial industry, having served in the past as a chief economist for RBC Dominium Securities, as well as the director of currency and credit market research and strategy for TD Securities. He also puts together a detailed report on the state of the ETF and mutual fund industries, which is what we're here to talk about today. ETFs, or exchange-traded funds, are an incredibly popular asset class, but they also seem to be locked in this endless battle for investment dollars with mutual funds. We wanted to dig a little deeper into these two asset classes and try to sort out what's really going on. Thank you so much for joining us, Frank. Um, So as we were discussing, we're here to talk a little bit about ETFs and mutual funds and sort of try to untangle all of this a little bit for people. Um, So maybe we can start at the most basic level and you can tell me a little bit about what is a mutual fund and what ETFs are. Well, mutual funds are really a kind of inexpensive way for people to diversify. Uh, Through them, you can buy lots of stocks and bonds, which you couldn't buy economically on your own. And... um, that's really it. It's a, a kind of a pooled system. So many people invest in the same funds and all their money goes to diversification. They've been around for many decades in the U.S. and probably a little bit less recently in Canada, but certainly back to the 50s in Canada. So, And they're, I think, the primary way for uh, wealth uh, holdings in Canada uh, in an investment kind of sense uh, among retail uh, uh, individuals and then families, etc. And exchange-traded funds, on the other hand, are more recent. Um, they actually originated in Canada about 25 years ago. There was an instrument that uh, uh, pooled money, actually was a single instrument looking at the TSX uh, 60 top companies. And uh, it kind of evolved into this whole industry uh, in Canada, certainly, but much more abroad. And um, its kind of uh, uh, main feature is that uh, there tend not to be portfolio managers involved. So it's the same idea where there's diversification of investments, but because there's less kind of overhead and managing of money, uh, the fees are a lot less mm-hmm. than mutual funds because mutual funds tend to have, say, an advisor that's selling it or providing it to the investor. And they get a fee quite often, 1% or so, kind of annually, which eats away at the return. And there's typically no such thing for ETFs. And uh, more recently, ETFs have got a lot of marketing kind of efforts behind them. Uh, there's a kind of a bandwagon kind of uh, uh, marketing behind them. And uh, so they're really what you primarily hear about as the way to go and uh, to, to, to minimize your fees and get the most return after all is said and done. So that's where it is. And it's a rapidly growing segment of the wealth management uh, industry. Right. And uh, the mutual funds, on the other hand, are not topping out, but they're growing very, very slowly. And uh, the ETFs are growing much faster in relative terms, at least for the time being. But is it just partly an issue, I guess, of of ETFs just being popular? Because like you're saying, aside from the fee, they're not that different, right? Like when you're describing mutual funds, it's like, well, isn't that sort of what ETFs are, like an easy way to diversify? Um, They're largely identical, except for the fact that 
the mutual funds traditionally have had portfolio managers. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have companies that have a great portfolio manager and they get some, some or a lot of extra money because people follow you know, certain guys that are returning a lot more than the average. Um, uh, ETFs basically have uh, typically nobody in charge, or at least that, that's kind of the way they started out. They start out more as uh, following an index, like a bond index or the stock index. So they, the, the ETF just buys things in proportion. And uh, there's just a computer program involved, which probably costs virtually nothing. So uh, the fees are very low, and really that's the big emphasis. In a world of presumably fee or returns are, are not as high as maybe they have been in the past, uh, that extra 1% or 2% a year uh, reducing your fee is something uh, not to sneer at, and that's what ETFs are really being pushed uh, for, that kind of relative return. Right. Yeah. So, so when mutual funds were perhaps more popular, it wasn't just that ETFs weren't around, it's that it was the environment led to maybe higher returns, so you didn't mind paying the investment fees? Yeah, yeah. I think it's something like that. There was kind of a long spell where returns were quite good, mm -hmm. especially, say, in the 1990s. Uh, you know, an extra 1% fee wouldn't bother you. But now, if, say, our bonds returns are very, very low, and right. uh, whatever fee there is really eats into it. So that's sort of the marketing point of the ETF industry is, uh, is uh, you keep more of your money with the ETFs. And uh, on the other hand, the mutual fund industry, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but uh, they virtually have no profile. They don't advertise. They don't report any statistics any longer. And uh, so they don't even give you the opportunity to kind of uh, take shots at them in terms right. of how they're doing. So it's the ETFs that are kind of uh, raising all the awareness and, uh, um, you know, catching all that kind of attention. Is, do you have any idea why the mutual fund industry is sort of taking this laying down in a way, right? Like you've talked about in some of the stories you've written for FinPipe too, how the mutual fund industry does nothing to defend themselves. Like is it just not their style? <laughs> like what, you know, you would think if the ETFs are pushing so hard, if you know if the, the sort of battle is between mutual funds and ETFs, that mutual funds would do something. Because I mean, I'm sure they're not without their value, right? Even if oh, they're tremendous value. I think uh, you know there's all different types of investors. Not everybody is hands-on and worries about every little basis point. Uh, a lot of people want to have it taken care of. Their investments taken care of by advisors, mm -hmm. and they just want to read their statements. Um, and so there's about a, a one and a half trillion in mutual funds in Canada. So there's, uh, there's uh, not a particular exodus from mutual funds. There seems to be uh, less and less money going in, but it's not that noticeable. Uh, it kind of goes in fits and starts. We had uh, you know, good years and uh, a couple years ago and a little bit of decline and real kind of rebound. But there seems to be a bit of a secular downtrend showing up on graphs and charts. Um, and uh, the mutual fund industry is just, uh, I think, just hanging in there and uh, seeing what happens. And there's a lot of things happening against the mutual fund industry. Different regulations are coming in that uh, they have to do more to um, disclose how much money is going to advisors and that sort of thing. So the... Um, kind of for clarity purposes, but more so competitive purposes, the ETF industry is kind of happy with that. 
Um, so things are happening to make the mutual fund industry look less uh, favorable, but it's not that um, it's not not, not not really playing out that way. It's been a couple of years now that these kind of uh, disclosure kind of things are happening, and there's no big flood out of mutual funds. Um, so uh, people in Canada have a lot of inertia, I think, uh, staying with where they are, to the frustration of a lot of the press that really are touting ETFs mm -hmm. and uh, the ETF people. And uh, uh, in, their, in their view, things can't happen fast enough for them. So, right. And uh, but it, it's it's kind of moving along. And uh, so uh, Rome wasn't built in a day, and neither was the mutual fund industry. So it's coming along and. Uh, and, you know, it's just marketing. Right. So do you think partly they're not sort of, you know, quote-unquote defending themselves against all this because they're actually doing okay anyways and they're sort of in, in it for the long game or is it just uh, different styles in I, each industry? I think they're, um, if you talk about defending yourself, I think they're just uh, having a certain kind of, uh, I can't think of the right word, but... Uh, you know, they're just uh, not playing along. Uh, you know, they're just taking the high road and being attacked, and uh, they're not really fighting back, as it were. Um, and they're doing quite well because they have the asset base and they have a certain amount of percentage of uh, revenues from every dollar in assets they have. So that's more of the game. And at the margin, they get a little bit more every year, but it's really what they have that they're making most of their money on. But at the same time, you know, they have all these sales efforts going on and they still have to try to do something right. <laughs> to, to raise money. So that's what's happening. So um, how long that lasts, I don't, you know, nobody really knows, but uh, that's where I think things are right now. Right. No, and it's interesting to hear you say that, and I think it's interesting for listeners because, like you're saying, you know, because the ETF people, let's say, the ETF camp is so vocal and they're doing so much marketing, right? Like, there is this sense that they're, like, taking over, or, like, only ETFs are cool, or, you know, there's just the perception maybe is not as much as the reality, or maybe the ETFs are making a lot of noise because they're, like, the scrappy new guys trying to get in, and the mutual funds are just like, all right, guys, sure, do your thing, but we're doing our thing, and it's working just fine, right? I think that gets lost sometimes in the coverage of the sort of this like supposed battle between the two sectors, right, that we're always seem to be talking about. Yeah, and uh, so like we, like we said, uh, the ETF people are hammering away at uh, how well ETFs are being uh, adapted and adopted in Canada, and um, so that's their thing. They just mm -hmm. keep harping away at that, so they're, they're trying to either create or kind of reinforce any kind of bandwagon effect. Uh, to the, with the idea that people see, oh, ETFs, I should take a closer look or something like that. And it's probably going to work to some degree, but, uh, um, you know, they're just going to keep hammering away and uh, we'll see how, how rapidly the uh, asset base of the ETFs keeps expanding. Right. There's a, uh, one of the entities in the ETF space, uh, Bank of Montreal, uh, they're basically the growing at the fastest rate and getting the largest inflows for the last several years. Um, in the last few years, they've been kind of a big, being a big promoter of the ETF space. They're now forecasting a kind of a five-year-old kind of uh, projection. So at the end of 2017, the ETF assets in Canada were about $147 billion, and they're having a projection of five years out of assets of about $400 billion. 
So kind of roughly 50 billion annual increase, but some of which is returns, but most of it is uh, inflows. Uh, so there are, that's another thing that they're just trying to have a, a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing where uh, this is what they think is going to happen and get on board. And uh, right. there's a lot of that. So uh, it's uh, take it as, as you take it, but, uh, you know, it's advertising and that's, that's what it takes. Well, and yeah, cause this is interesting too because there's some, you know, one of the questions I had was sort of around, you know, what people may not understand about ETFs, but um, we can get to that in a second, but even just in terms of how their success, let's say, is measured, right? Like you've written about this as well, about how there's different ways to look at the numbers and you can have a certain double counting if you're not careful, right? And there's certain things that people can do to sort of not inflate or manipulate, but sort of play with the numbers a little bit. Can you just tell me a little bit more about what the issue is there? Um, well, it's kind of my issue in a way because I'm one of the analysts that looks at this kind of uh, more in more detail, more critically. Right. Um, and one of the things that happens in the ETF world is uh, you're getting more and more of the mutual fund companies also setting up ETF arms. Uh, Bank of Montreal was the first. Uh, and then uh, more recently you have EGF and you have um, Invesco, uh, Etc. So, Bank of Montreal, for example, has about 13 billion in ETF holdings that are bought by their mutual fund side. So, the mutual fund, uh, you know, sphere is instead of buying, say, stocks or bonds, they're buying um, Bank of Montreal ETFs. Right. So, in a certain way, that to me is a bit of a double counting. Or perhaps an exaggeration of the uh, the growth or the strength of the ETF side. One other, uh, some other ETFs that are happening is that the um, uh, there's this thing of fund of funds, where ETFs you can have an ETF that buys other ETFs mm -hmm. instead of uh, stocks and bonds, so that when you have a purchase of this ETF, then there's another purchase, another uh, 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 there's the purchase of the underlying ETFs. Right. So that's also double counting. So there's about about 12 or 13 billion of that in the ETF space that is double counting and uh, it just further exaggerates the growth of ETFs. Right. Um, it's just something that's there in the, in the mutual fund sphere. They, they, they dealt with this uh, in, in the mid-2000s. Uh, because their numbers were showing a lot of double counting from fund of funds and it was kind of getting ridiculous to try to analyze what was really happening. So they right. basically did away with that and uh, what you see is what you get. But in ETF world, nobody, uh, there's no sort of, well, there's a central body that uh, they all report to and they report every month, but they have no interest in uh, kind of having a, a reduced level of, of assets and, and the demand. They right. want to have as much demand reported as possible. So you have people like me that kind of mention this and uh, uh, it is worthwhile to know and keep things in a bit of perspective. Mm -hmm. No, and, and I think that's interesting because yeah, I mean, if it's an ETF buying an ETF, it can distort the numbers and not everybody would necessarily understand that or even think of that, right? Um, and I guess it just makes me wonder like, have you, like, what kind of reaction do you get when you talk to people about this? Is it something that people know? Are they sort of like, oh, that's kind of weird? Or like, sort of, I don't know, what, what's sort of the reaction to this sort of? 
To my understanding, this is kind of generally known, in, once again, in general, but the magnitude uh, is not that clear. Mm -hmm. I've done in the last few months a, a more uh, hard nose and closer look at magnitudes, and it's not that easy to get the numbers because it's very tedious. Um, and some of the ETF companies and mutual fund companies aren't too cooperative because this does not put them in a good light necessarily. Um, but um, that's where it is. Oh, I forgot the question. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm asking you a lot. No, I guess people. I, I guess I'm wondering, like, more just people in the, other people in the field, oh, maybe other yeah, even portfolio peop people that would buy these things, right, and maybe well, deal with these, and they don't really realize what they're well, buying. Well. Uh, to be fair, uh, most of the kind of material I look at is for the uh, for the companies. Right. I don't really disseminate material to tell people uh, what's happening and individual investors. It might trickle out or down to them in some way, I guess, in a venue such as this. But really, it just uh, lets some other ETF providers get a, a, a better handle on things because they might be uh, hard-pressed to understand why some companies are doing so well and if it's something that they can't keep up with or don't have at their disposal such as a mutual fund arm that also buys ETFs it's just worthwhile to know what they're up against um, so they're not offended or anything like that it's just they they kind of like uh, they just like to see they appreciate the perspective and uh, right. about magnitudes right yes well, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that as well, the sort of research that you do. I mean, it's very in-depth. It's quite detailed. Um, and, I, you know, I know people in the finance industry do this or they should be doing this. But, you know, yours seems to go to sort of quite uh, a lot of great lengths to really understand, like, the numbers and the sort of stuff you're talking about now that other people may miss because they're not really sitting down um, and doing this work. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about the research that you do, the kind of what's sort of involved in the work that you do with, um, with all this? Well, I'm originally an economist and um, spent a long time on Bay Street. And, uh, and when I left there, then it sort of like was a situation of what, what can I do uh, in a kind of non-real-time kind of capacity. So I always liked the mutual fund industry and was kind of interested in it. So about 15 years ago, I started uh, just dabbling and kind of assembling various analyses about it and getting data and thinking about what made sense or what was interesting. And uh, I've just sort of uh, developed and evolved uh, a mutual fund uh, analysis kind of uh, suite of, of, uh, of uh, research products. And the more recently, six or seven years ago, uh, I had along the way been uh, tracking and assembling the ETF information that comes out every month, and I started putting together a similar kind of product at the ETF level. Um, so it's marketed to the uh, mutual fund and ETF companies, and uh, they have a lot of their own work that they do, and uh, I have a different take on things or different approach on things. I hope I don't come across as an advocate of mutual funds or ETFs, uh, try to be objective. Uh, once in a while, uh, when things look dire, say for mutual funds, every once in a while there's a crisis and a bit of a collapse in demand, uh, uh, you know it's going to come back. So there's a bit of forecasting to, to that effect. And uh, that might look a bit overly positive, but uh, 
it's, you know, that's what I do and I uh, make no uh, apologies for it, but, uh, you know, try to be object objective and sometimes say last year ETF demand hit another new record and it's and it basically always going to hit new records because it's moving up, but there is a tremendous amount of hype and then here we are uh, in 2018, uh, things are really cooling off and the last couple of months have been very, very subdued for ETF demand. And um, I think that's what we've seen the last several years. You get this, this binge of ETF uh, demand and then things cool off for a year or so for whatever reason. And uh, then kind of things uh, relaunch and you know, tend to move back up again. So that's where we are now in that regard. And uh, so it just kind of comes and goes. And just like looking at economic uh, cycles, things move up, things move down. And uh, just try to put perspective on um, you know, what might be happening, what is happening, and where the demand is, and, uh, you know, every month's a new month. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting what you're saying, because it, it is, it's, I, I've had, I, I've had trouble in the past trying to figure out if you were like an ETF guy or a mutual fund guy looking at things, right? So I guess the objectiveness is working, <laughs> if that, if that's good to know at all. But, um, what I find interesting is like you're saying that the overall perspective, right? Then the sort of, like you're saying, if it looks like you're being positive about mutual funds, is that, the, that you're actually just sort of trying to forecast and give some sort of longer term, um, idea of what's happening. Um, and when I was looking at your work, it just sort of made me think about, um, you know, sort of traditional research versus robo-advisors, right? Like what you do um, is quite in-depth, right? Um, takes a lot more time, I'm sure, <laughs> than anything that you can get with an algorithm. Mm. And um, I sort of see the parallel to, you know, people like ETFs because they're easy. They like digital advice because it's easy. And I'm sort of wondering what your take is on sort of this I guess, evolution or change in the field where we're seeing a lot of people moving to EC, whether it's ETF or robo-advice. Like, do you think there's value in that? Do you think there are dangers? Like, what, what's sort of your take on, on what's happening with this EC slash digital trend that people are kind of going towards? Uh, well, I think that's a reality, and it's uh, being seen elsewhere, online shopping, uh, the whole psychology of... Uh, you know, people wanting to just stay in their chair and uh, not move around. Uh, there's a certain kind of, you know, magic bullet idea behind the whole thing that there's one-stop shopping. So with the regard to the robo-advisors, uh, I think they make a lot of sense. Uh, they seem to be, and I hope, you know, I might get my facts a little bit wrong, but uh, they offer uh, formulas for investing your money and another opportunity to pay less fees. So they kind of give you the opportunity to manage your money, and uh, I suppose you kind of have a checklist of things that you're interested in, like whether you're conservative, you want to take risks, um, all kinds of things of that nature. Uh, I gather they have multitudes of scenarios and portfolios uh, that would you would fit into, and uh, once you sign on, you put in your X thousand dollars or whatever the minimums are or whatever the maxes are, and then uh, the money is just taken care of for you. So uh, it appeals also to people that don't want to talk to anybody. There's a lot of that going around because advisors kind of have a habit of talking you out of things and talking you into other things. And I think there's a, a kind of a, a realm of people that want to just do that um, so it's, uh, there's a fee, there are fees attached to it. So I think they're okay, but they, what they do is they, 
they have a select menu of uh, ETFs that they choose from on your behalf, and they might not be the greatest, um, but uh, that's that's what things are. So there's a convenience element to it, and uh, I think they're certainly here to stay. How fast they grow, I'm not sure, but uh, you know there are people that really want the convenience, and they don't really want to think through their investments that closely. On the other hand, uh, ETFs give you that kind of situation where people can look at them and uh, they can do the same thing. Uh, if you have any kind of investment online investment account, you can learn about ETFs from the Global Mail or any, any source. There are lots of ideas out there and you can assemble your own portfolio much, much uh, more economically because you're just not paying a fee to anybody. So there's all kinds of investor types, uh, hands-on, people are really keen, and there's people that they just can't get involved because they have other things to do with their lives. Right. Well, and I mean, that's a fair point, too. I guess, you know, you hear a lot of the people that argue against robo-advisors, they're like, well, you know, you pay what you get for, and do you want to get, you get what you pay for, sorry, and, you know, do you want to get the cheapest dentist or the best one, and is there not a value in paying for the service you get? But I guess the counter-argument and sort of what you're saying, too, is, there's different people out there. Some people they don't have the time or the money or the interest, quite frankly, to get that involved in their investments. And I guess it gives them a chance to at least be in something, right? And not just keep their money under their yeah, mattress. Well, or you know, if the name of the game is what do I do with my money, then you have these multitude of options. You can have mutual funds, but typically uh, people buy them with some kind of an advisor. Uh, you can buy them online, certainly. Uh, but if you're doing that, then you might want to uh, just do the ETFs because you're implicitly a more astute investor. Um, but then if you want to, uh, you know, not have somebody to, to talk to, just kind of sign up and do everything online and pay, pay a fee of sorts, you know. So it's all about choice, I think. People want choice and uh, they want to have good returns, uh, and so these are fitting the bill at the time being. Right, it's another option. No, that makes sense. One thing I was wondering, speaking of the time being, actually, is, you know, when you're looking at the different asset classes and you're thinking about right now, I mean, every time you turn on the news, like something insane is happening, right, and it just seems like such volatile, crazy times. Um, is there one, if you're looking at mutual funds or ETFs, is there one asset that's better than the other to sort of handle the sort of rough waters <laughs> that come and go in the market? Well, I think here's where the mutual funds are kind of different. Um, more and more over time, uh, what has emerged as the dominant asset class is uh, fund of funds, where you don't just buy, say, equities. You buy a balanced fund, uh, which has other funds in it. And uh, so you get some international exposure, you get some bonds, you get some stocks, so that's a lot of what's happening in, in the mutual fund world is primarily uh, being f um, uh, fueled by the banks because they like to have that kind of uh, thoughtless, you know, kind of process. So you walk into your bank with or you have money in your account and you want to invest it maybe every year for RSPs, etc., uh, rather than... Um, you know, a good equity fund that they might have or so on. They just basically say, this is a good balanced approach, diversified, et cetera. And I'm sure they like to use the word safe. Right. Because um, 
you know, we got too far too many kind of investment crises where people lose money and then they get upset and then they get shaken out for a couple of years. So um, that's a lot of what's happening in the mutual fund world. And the ETF side of things, there are more individual kind of ideas, uh, um, various types of uh, indexes of equities, you know, S&P 500, uh, TSX uh, in Canada, bond indexes, very few fund of uh, very few kind of balanced funds, fund of funds still. Um, so more individual kind of investments. And one of the other things that's uh, more unique about the ETFs is that there's a lot of sector type plays. Uh, right. And in the mutual fund world, it's still very conservative and uh, traditional. But the ETFs more and more have come to have different kind of bets. Um, and different things that are of interest. Uh, some of them more recently, they have ETFs for cybersecurity, blockchain. You've probably heard of all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> um, ETFs related to you know women, for example. A couple of those have been coming out in the last few few months. Um, so, and then one company very well established. They have bets on. Uh, you know, oil and gas, and uh, you can short things with ETFs, and you can buy long, and all kinds of things like that that the mutual fund world is never, it's too staid and conservative to get into. But the ETFs give you some extra of that for some of those uh, investors with animal spirits, if you will. Right. Yeah, so it's a bit more nimble and more like you can jump on different trends if everybody, yeah. 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 Is there, is that, is that, is that, I don't want to say safe, that's the wrong word. But is that a good idea? Because, I mean, like, you're like, oh, everybody's talking about whatever, you know, supporting women right now, so let's do a women ETF where everybody's, like, into, like, blockchain. I mean, that stuff can have a pretty short shelf life, no, if things... It may or may not. I mean, uh, it's the thing is that uh, they're just trying to come up with things that are different and unique, and, uh, you know, somebody will buy them. If they don't buy them, they'll kind of wither away. But they're just coming up with new things and uh, yeah, it's just because they don't want to just have the traditional instruments like the mutual fund world they want to try to be seen as uh, at the march you know cutting edge of new things new ideas new ways to invest like the marijuana ETFs in the last uh, right. couple of years so you know those kind of were pretty quick out of the block for the initial adopters or companies <coughs> excuse me uh, but they've kind of like, uh, not petered out, but they've kind of settled down because there's a certain constituency that is old gung-ho on that, and they got on board fairly quickly, I think, and then we'll see what happens after that. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's really, it's an element of innovation, right, in the financial world that you don't, I mean, it's, I feel like fi it's always been more innovative than people think, but right now you kind of see a lot of just, I guess, movement with ETFs, and they're just willing to jump on whatever might work, I guess. Yeah, let's uh, something like that, and uh, I don't know how many more ideas are out there to right. to kind of uh, put in front of people. But uh, you know, that's been the name of the game for a little while. It's uh, much more this diversification of offerings and uh, unique kind of ways to try to make money. Um, some of them will probably do very well, and some of them probably won't. So they'll all kind of uh, play out over time as to whether they have. Uh, long-term followings and uh, there are ETFs that do wind up you know they don't really go anywhere and at some stage if they're not growing it sort of speaks for itself 
And so ETFs, to some degree, are being shut down, not all the time, but with some regularity. Uh, they've had their chance, and uh, you know the companies uh, lose money on things, uh, administratively, etc. And uh, you know, presumably, there's behind the scenes there are people trying to sell these things. And if it's a harder and harder sell, the best thing to do is just take them off the shelf and try to sell something that has a, a better potential. Right. No, that makes sense. Well, no, this is great. I think this could give us a pretty, like, a really good sort of overview and a bit more of an in-depth understanding of what's at play for some of these investments. Um, Do you have any sort of parting thoughts in terms of what people need to sort of know or keep in mind when they're looking at either asset class to make sure they understand them? I know we've covered a lot of it, but is there anything else that you think people really need to think about when they're looking at either one? Um. I don't, you know, in this in the realm of sphere that I don't recommend anything. Right. Um, you know, there's something there for everybody. You're different types of investors. Um, ETFs, uh, they will have different areas that uh, mutual funds don't have, and they're interesting. And, um, you know, so, you know, they're there if people want to get on board. But... Basically, the main things that people are investing in are the traditional stocks and bonds and international equities and uh, this other stuff, uh, whatever they're called, specialty funds, they're, they're there, but they're still at the margin, and they, they just make things interesting. But the, the, the bread and butter, I think, of the industry is still stocks, bonds, and relatively conservative traditional types of products. Right. So... Uh, you're going to have the different people that have different kind of time to look at things and different uh, interests. And uh, so, as I said earlier, the choice is there. And if that's good, uh, it is good. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, just options, I guess. Yeah. Well, and again, thank you so much for helping us sort of understand the different options that are out there. This has been really great. Thank you. Thank you. That's our show for today. I hope it gives you guys a little bit of a better sense of what's out there. But if you want to learn more about these and other financial concepts, don't forget to check out our website at finpipe.com.